Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. One of the pieces of advice I give to men and women all the time, but particularly women, is if you can get yourself into a growth industry, a growth company, it's almost like people don't have time to worry about what gender you are. At least that was my experience at Nike. There was this unlimited amount of work to do. And if you were like me that had an unlimited appetite for working myself too hard, then you could always volunteer for some crazy assignment. They were just grateful to have anyone to go do the job. So it really, in some ways, that kind of speed and growth simplified things. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to season two of The Females, a podcast that deep dives into the world of women, work, and what it takes to build a successful and fulfilling career on your terms. This season will focus on disruption. From disrupting industries to old narratives and definitions of success, and even disrupting new ways of thinking. Today is a really special episode because we are celebrating International Women's Day, a day that was first celebrated in 1911 as a way to honor women all over the world for their contributions and achievements. Gloria Steinem, world-renowned feminist, journalist, and activist, once explained that the story of women's struggles for equality belonged to no single feminist nor to any one organization, but to the collective efforts of all who care about human rights. So make International Women's Day your day and do what you can to truly make a positive difference for women. And speaking of positive differences for women, I've invited Liz Dolan to the show. Liz is the former chief marketing officer for world-class brands like Nike, Oprah Winfrey Network, and National Geographic, to name a few. And now she's the co-host of the wildly popular career podcast, Safe for Work. Liz has dedicated her career and life to helping women achieve more in the workplace. So get ready for some great stories around the word lucky, why side hustles are really important for your main hustle, and how Liz is supporting the 2019 theme for International Women's Day, hashtag balance for better. And now this is The Females. Okay, so let's start with you walking us through your background and how you came to be a podcast host. Sure. I originally started in PR and marketing. I got out of, went to college in New England and then moved to New York City because I had grown up right outside New York. And I worked in a bunch of PR jobs in New York 
for my 20s, which was awesome because that's the best time in the world to live in New York City. And then sort of out of the blue, one day I got a call from a recruiter who was looking for a head of PR to go to Nike. And this was a million years ago. So it was before it was like Nike, but it was still Nike. Right. And so I ended up moving to Nike when I was 30 and spent, uh, I was there for a decade. I started as the PR director. Ultimately, I was the global marketing director, sort of the last half of my tenure there. So I ran worldwide marketing during this amazing growth phase of the company. So that was super fun. But then I just decided that I wanted to do something that was more personal. So I went in and actually quit that job. And I wanted to start a talk show for women, believe it or not. (laughs) What year was that? That was, let me think, that was 1998. Wow. Okay. So long time ago. And I had this idea that there was so much talk radio that was kind of men on sports and men on politics and men on men. And uh, But I loved radio, but I just wanted to hear women talk to each other the way women do. So that's how I created Satellite Sisters, which ultimately became a talk show that's now a podcast that I co-host with my real-life sisters. So then, Which I am, you have a lot of. Which I have four sisters. That right. is correct. <laughs> and so we were on public radio for a while. Then we were on commercial radio. We were for a while on ABC Radio live every day, three hours a day, six days a week. So it's a good thing there were that many sisters. Right, <laughs> right. That was a lot of... Uh, but then during that time also, when the market started to change for radio shows, we all kind of... I ended up back in a day job. I was ended up running marketing at Oprah Winfrey's cable network. So wow. I, I was the first chief mar- marketing officer. I love that you called that a day job. Well, <laughs> it's sure just it so funny because I've always had these like two tracks that I'm working on. Like I've always had a marketing career, but then simultaneously I've had this thing about women talking to each other that's right. taken all kinds of forms. So while I was at OWN, uh, Satellite Sisters became a podcast. So that was one of the very early podcasts. And then I ended up running marketing for National Geographic Channel, which I loved. And again, Satellite Sisters was still on the air. It still is as a podcast. And then when I left National Geographic just two years ago, Wondery, my podcast network, had come to me and said they wanted me to host a career advice show. And they particularly wanted a strong female voice who had had a varied career because I'd been in big business, I'd worked for myself, I'd been a creative, I'd been like a big time boss with a billion dollar budget. I've kind of done a lot of different things. So at first I thought, "Mm, I don't know, giving other people advice, that's putting yourself out on a limb. But it's been fantastic. I cannot tell you how much I've loved doing it. And that show is called Safe for Work. So I still do Satellite Sisters every week. And now I also do Safe for Work every week. And I love that it probably wasn't called a side hustle back then, but that your side hustle turned into your full-time hustle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think the term side hustle had been invented yet. It was more just my creative outlet. I wanted a place where I could say what I wanted to say. And, you know, in a lot of company environments, you have a prescribed job to do, but it's not about you. It's about getting the job done on behalf of the company. But I just had a lot I wanted to say. So I've always had a radio show or a podcast to help me do that. Do you think that creative outlet has helped you in your career too? So you were better at your marketing jobs because of that? Totally. One thing it taught me is that just to, to say what you really think, to be your true self. And I know it's so obvious. There's so much career advice about how to be authentic and how to really put yourself out there. 
But I actually think it wasn't until I was on the radio live every day that I realized if you're not your true self, you'll never be able to do this <laughs> because you you just can't make up that much stuff. You just can't pretend to be someone else for that long every day. You really have to be your true self when you're in that kind of live environment. And you know, podcasting is that way too. It's not a performance. It's a it's really you and it's a true conversation. So I think I I learned from a lot of years on the radio like you might as well just say what you really think. Chances are it's the best idea anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plus, by the time you remember what you wanted to say, the prescribed thing you wanted to say, the moments pass. I, mean, I know. It, it moves quickly, like yeah. a live conversation. It's Yeah. There's no scripting. There's no nothing. And you know what? Real life is that way. Right. And then ultimately, there was a time when I um, I became a board member at a, at a public, big publicly traded company, and I did that for a couple of years. And then I had a major falling out with the management and uh, quit very publicly because of what I felt was gender bias on behalf of the board. And that's when I came up with my my number one personal motto now is stay noisy. <laughs> and yeah. So that's, I just think really when I look back over the thread of my career, it's sort of that, mm-hmm. learning to say what you really believe. Right. And now your podcast, Safer Work and what you're doing, Wondering Satellite Sisters, that's your full-time job, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's your day job, quote unquote, right? <laughs> I, I have those two day jobs and there's one other thing I do. I'm part of a, I'm part of an angel investing group called Oregon Sports Angels, which is to help young companies, particularly female-owned and minority-owned companies, sort of get the seed money they need to get into business. And I just started doing that last year. And that has been super fun. Because for me, that's not so much about the money as mentoring young business leaders who are just starting out and trying to share things that you may have learned along the way and really help nurture the startup of a great company. That has been much more satisfying than I really, I was kind of nervous about that at first. But now I realize, oh, no, I can just sort of coach them and maybe it'll work. Maybe Absolutely. it won't. And I want to go back to gender bias because you've mentioned it a couple of times. I'm just mm-hmm. curious throughout your career, I'm sure, especially working at Nike, mm-hmm. uh, you might have been the only woman a few times. Yeah, like, a few times. <laughs> yeah, at least a few times. Tell us about that. Like any examples or experiences? You know, I think there are, as you get higher up in an organization, particularly 20 years ago, you do, I did find fewer and fewer women in most of the rooms that I was in. In fact, I remember one time being at like a, the weekly staff meeting that the CEO had, and this was at Nike. And Nike was in the process then of building the big glorious world campus that exists now, but it didn't exist then, or they were sort of just figuring all of that out. And somebody from the committee that was working on the new headquarters came in and did this big presentation to all of the most senior people in the company about the daycare center and what what was going to be in the daycare center and like how much were they going to charge for it and how would we decide like who gets in and who doesn't because we can't take everyone. And at the end of this, they're like, okay, does anyone have any questions? And I just remember like I was the only woman in the room other than the person who had done the presentation. Everyone's sort of turning and looking at me like, excuse me, boys, I don't have any children, okay? <laughs> like, yeah. All of you are parents, and yet somehow, in addition to being head of global marketing, I'm supposed to figure out how we're going to run the daycare center? No, you're all <laughs> You were like the voice for all women yes, at Nike. Yes, I needed to represent all women at Nike. And also the idea that, like, 
fathers don't have a point of view on this? Of course you do. Come on, boys. You can speak up here. You probably have much more hands-on experience dealing with daycare issues as a parent than I do as a Mm non-parent. And it was just one of those funny things where, so they go both ways. It's not like gender bias is necessarily like, well, let's not talk to her. She doesn't. Sometimes it goes the other way. And it's like, well, we're talking about kids. I guess we should ask the global head of marketing. (laughs) Right, right. The the one woman in the room. yeah, Yeah, yeah. But most of the time I felt, because that was a very fast growth company, one of the pieces of advice I give to men and women all the time, but particularly women, is if you can get yourself into a growth industry, a growth company, it's almost like people don't have time to worry about what gender you are. At least that was my experience at Nike. Mm-hmm. There was this unlimited amount of work to do. And if you were like me that had an unlimited appetite for working myself too hard, then you could always volunteer for some crazy assignment. They were just grateful to have anyone to go do the job. So it really, in some ways, that kind of speed and growth simplified things. Though I know there are plenty of, you know, Silicon Valley startup businesses where they have that speed and growth and still there's persistent bias against women. So I can't necessarily solve the problem just with growth. But it was, I got all kinds of opportunities during that era in my career at that company that I would not have gotten most other places just because there was an openness to who's got a good idea here. Okay, go for it. Mm-hmm. So that was more the nature of Nike and the the culture there than necessarily that it was a male dominated business. Right. You never felt like they didn't promote you or let you in on projects or anything like that because no. you were a woman. No, but I, I I can say that I've talked to other women there that did not have that same experience. So what it was that for some reason there was a clearer path for me, sometimes you can't explain that. You know, sometimes that's where mentorship really counts for something, and it's this inexplicable thing. From the moment I started there, I had two main bosses. One was Phil Knight, who was the founder of the company, and the other was a guy named Tom Clark, who was the head of marketing when I originally started, and he ultimately became the president of the company. And they were both fantastic mentors to me. And so that certainly cleared a path for me. Right. And there's something about when your boss has confidence in you, again, it's another piece of advice I give people all the time. That's the number one thing you should be looking for is a boss who really believes in you. Because when they do, anytime somebody gets promoted, it's because someone is saying, well, we're going to have to take a chance on someone, so we might as well take a chance on her or take a chance on him. And so your boss has to be the number one advocate for taking a chance on you. And that's and both Tom and Phil in that environment felt that way about me and gave me lots of opportunities that I wasn't necessarily qualified for. But I think most of the time when we get a big promotion, we are not qualified. (laughs) The whole point is you're getting promoted on potential. How do you do that, though? I mean, like for someone who's listening to this and saying or thinking, well, yes, I really want my boss to have confidence in me. Like Mm -hmm. how how do you gut check to say, like, do they have confidence in me or do they not? Like is is there some sort of internal or even external questions that you can ask to to find out if they feel that way? Well, I think communicating clearly with your boss about what their expectations are and whether you're delivering on them, that's a really fundamental thing. And sometimes we take too much for granted. I think now because there's 
so much communication, whether it's email or Slack or texting or whatever. We think we are really understanding each other. But I think that's actually clouded understanding in many cases more than it has helped it. You know, Mm -hmm. being able to sit across from someone, as you were saying, right, as we were starting this podcast, the fact that we're in the same room, looking at each other, having a thoughtful conversation, it's just so much. Yes, I could be on Skype, but really so much better to be looking at your friendly face. (laughs) And so I think part of it is making sure that you ask your boss for direction and really listen to what they have to say. And safe for work, lots of times when people are telling Rico and I like what their scenario is, I can hear in the way they're describing what their boss allegedly told them to do, that they really didn't take it in, that they really were. And sometimes it's a lack of self-awareness. Sometimes it's defensiveness. Sometimes it's just really clear to me, like your boss is hinting around at something and you're not getting the message. Right. And it's not like I'm a psychic or anything. I think it's just more a lot of years in the workplace. So I would say, you know, obviously ask for direction, but then really listen to what you're hearing. It's so fundamental. Yeah. I think the key here is the word listen. And I think listening skills are hard for a lot of people. We have an online course about how to give and receive feedback. And the majority of the course is really like how to actually listen to people and then reply thoughtfully or, you know, to adjust and pivot based off of that feedback, which Mm -hmm. is, I think, uh, you know, I got earlier in my career, I was told once in like a review that I don't take feedback well. And I was like, Oh my God, who said that? You know, How like, dare you yeah, say that? <laughs> I was so offended because I felt like, and I, what I realized now is that there's a difference between listening and like actively listening and pivoting. And then also asking the right questions back to make sure like you're fully mm-hmm. understanding, which I think is more to your point of like sitting down with your boss and letting them say something to you, but also asking questions back to make sure that yes. you truly understand what it is that they're looking for. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, based off of this is all with the assumption that a boss has a lot of clarity and can tell you what they want, which as you and I both know, sometimes that doesn't always happen. It's very rare, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. I think the difference is there's a boss versus a leader, which I heard on a, a podcast that you were on about the fact that your dad really recommended that you take college classes from like the best professors. Don't yes. worry about the actual class that you were taking. And I thought that was really interesting because it's like who cares what job or company you have, just make sure you work for the best leaders, which mm-hmm. is why you see the common thread of when a good leader leaves, a lot of people will go with them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so true. That is the only piece of advice my father gave me when I went off to college. <laughs> he said, just take all the best professors. It doesn't matter what they're teaching. Yeah. And I think that's uh, that's so true. Yeah. One of the most common questions we get on Safe for Work now is, oh my God, I have this terrible boss. What should I do about it? Yeah. And so Rico and I do the best we can to give advice about that. But every time I find myself saying, the key is to prevent you from going to work for a terrible boss. Like, right. What could we have done in the job search process that would help you understand more what this person was like, what this company culture is like, but also what you need as an employee. Because not yeah. everybody needs the same kind of boss. Yeah, I, I, I'm 100% on board with that because I think what's really helpful is to know what you need first, Yes, which is kind of a whole other conversation. And I, I think what people always want is some sort of checklist. And it's like, oh, it just doesn't quite work like that. Yeah. I mean, were you over time, were you able to see common threads of what bosses worked really well for you? Uh, yeah, over time. Because I 
I figured out pretty quickly that I do not like to be micromanaged. Maybe that's true of everyone. Yeah, yeah. As I say, not to maybe. Although you know what, some people really love structure. Like to the you know hour, like every hour they want to be told. So you know, I take Mm -hmm. that back. Not maybe some people really do. Mm -hmm. So I liked. I always gravitated towards people that could give me the big picture. Like tell me what is the over. What's our goal here? What's the objective of this whole exercise? Okay, great. Now trust me enough to go away, figure it out, come back, and tell you how we're going to get there. And then. Once we agree that's how we're going to get there, you also can't backseat drive the whole way. And so not only did I learn that I liked that kind of boss, I worked really hard to be that kind of boss, which is even harder (laughs) because you start to get promoted. All of a sudden, you're responsible for people and projects and budgets and hitting sales targets. So you just naturally have a tendency to kind of butt in a little bit more and you have to keep reminding yourself I would hate it if someone was doing this to me right like you have to be able to train people and then trust them enough to like as long as as long as you've done an excellent job explaining what the objective is the way you wanted your boss to do for you you have to be able to let people do that that was the hardest thing in the world for me to learn right it's I think it's also hard to go from you know, someone who is a, a contributor on a team to leading a yes. team. It's a it's a weird transition. It happens slowly. It takes time to kind of find your groove and, and your leadership style. And some people, frankly, just don't like it. You know, mm-hmm. some people try it. They work their way up to become, you know, quote unquote, promoted to this manager or leader. And then they go, you know what? Actually, that's not for me. I Which agree. is actually, I think, better. Like, do not be a bad leader. <laughs> 100% agree with that. We just did a whole episode of Safe for Work on exactly that. That transition to being a manager and how to learn how to do that. Because you think you're getting promoted because you did such a good job, which you kind of are. Right. So then your natural instinct is to start just doing more stuff yourself, which is the wrong thing to do. You have to really learn how to take pleasure in helping other people accomplish things, which you may or may not like at all. Yeah. <laughs> then there's the whole like administrative side of that. Nobody really likes that part. Right. But I think that is the number one hardest transition in anyone's career is from being sort of an independent contributor to being a leader of a team. I agree. And many people are not, they don't like it or they're just not good at it. Yeah, I would completely agree. Okay, so I want to switch topics (laughs) to, it's International Women's Day and you're our special bonus episode, so thank you. And the theme for this year for International Women's Day is Balance for Better, which is really a call to action for driving gender balance across the world, which I'm sure this really Mm -hmm. speaks to you um, given your work and to be noisy and things like that. How do you hope to make a difference and take action with this theme? And and what's your advice for women? I mean, this day represents a lot, but I think there are also people out there who are probably saying like, this is another one of those holidays where we say all the right things, Mm -hmm. but like what action can I actually take for this quote unquote balance for better? Well, one thing I would say is having spent the last decade of my career working internationally more even than domestically is this holiday is celebrated a lot more in the rest of the world than it is here. So just FYI. Right. <laughs> so we need to step up our game. <laughs> we, we could do a better job here. But then the other big thing for me with holidays like this is always men need to get the message as much as women. So somehow we have these days where we celebrate, you know, ourselves or people celebrate us or we tell everyone we do the yay, rah, rah, stay noisy rallies mm-hmm. for our female empowerment groups and all of that. But what is really going to change the world is 
all sides sort of understanding what uh, what this is going to take. And I look at like all of the the Me Too movement things going on now, and God knows I go to the meetings and <laughs> read the things, and it still just seems to me like it's mainly women talking about it, mainly to other women, and that is not going to change the game. So anything about like balance and this kind of communication, the balance is men and women equally in on the conversation about how that change really needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, an example would be a woman at work today what, take, takes a male colleague out to lunch and, and talks about it? Yes, or? yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if you're having a meeting in your work environment, just make sure that, first of all, men are invited, right? It's yeah. not like, it's not Mother's Day. <laughs> you know, make sure men are invited or maybe even require them to sh- show up for something where also both men and women are talking about the issue. Because if it's only women presenting on this topic, I just think it's harder for men to see their way in on some of this stuff. Because most men are super good guys, and they're not they're not creating most of the problems that we have, you know, when it comes to the most egregious kind of Me Too things. But, you know, the patriarchy isn't going to topple itself. <laughs> right. somehow, somehow men need to understand more how we feel about some of the, the limitations that we experience that, frankly, most of the time they're oblivious to because that's the way you would be if you are in the dominant culture. Right, right. Well, it's interesting, too, just because we talk a lot about this on the podcast. And um, we had a woman on earlier this season who really talked about the fact that, you know, when you're in an organization, you need to go to the leaders and tell them you need to have more women on your board. You need mm-hmm. to promote women. And here are the women that I would encourage yes. you to promote. And really, uh, kind of what you said earlier, be noisy, but speak up also on behalf of other women. Did you find in your career that that was happening a lot, that women were you know, speaking up on behalf of other women and saying, you know, hey, Phil Knight, you should really promote this woman or we should get this woman on the board. Like, did you see that among women too? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I know women who say they haven't experienced that, but I always felt throughout my career, I've been very grateful to the support I got from other women. And I have also always tried to extend that same support. Like when, again, just going back to Nike. So when I was at Nike, there there was one woman on the Nike board of directors back in the day. And she would always come in and have like a separate meeting with me when she was in town for a board meeting. She would just come and chit chat and sort of give me advice. And she said a couple of things that have like such simple things that have just so stuck in my brain. Like I remember one time after I had done a presentation, she came into my office and she was like, great presentation. Well done. One thing I would like to note you use the word lucky about three times that you're lucky that this happened or you're lucky to have this person or said, you know, it's not luck. It's because you are a good leader. And men never stand up in front of a group and say they've been lucky. (laughs) They say they are great at what they do. So I would just watch your language. You're giving away your power by standing in front of a group of powerful people and saying you got there through luck because that's not really true. Ever since she said that to me, like, I'll start to say, and I'll stop myself because you can see how you can do that. Oh, you know, it's it's my whole team. You want to share credit with your team, which is, okay. that's one thing. That's the right thing to do as a leader. But it's different than saying, well, I'm lucky I had these people to do this and that department over there. I'm so lucky. It's a really simple conversational 
things that we can share with each other can make a huge difference. And that's one that had a huge impact on me. Oh, the example she gave me in that conversation is she said, I remember people often say to me, you're so lucky that you have a husband who supports your career. And she says, I'm not lucky. I chose him. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So, you know, that kind of backing each other up. I mean, we always say that's what the Satellite Sisterhood is all about. That's why we created the show, because we really need to provide the pep talk for each other. So that whatever it is that's going on that's hard in our lives, whether it's personal or professional or whatever, you know, you need to be able to talk to your friends and give each other that kind of support. So... I've always tried to do that in the workplace when I could. Um, So we're going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And my first question is, what's a podcast trend that you're really loving right now? I think that there is such an unleashing of new voices because there are lots of networks that are willing to support you putting your thing out there. So a lot of the kind of scripted dramas that didn't used to exist where like really high quality writers are now creating these fantastic stories. I'm really enjoying trying out some of those new shows. So Mm -hmm. that's great. And what about if a woman's listening to this and she's like you, she's working in the corporate world, but she really wants this creative outlet of a podcast. I mean, what's your, I guess, what's your advice for someone to start a podcast? Where do they start? It's super easy to actually physically produce a podcast. But the hardest thing is really asking yourself before you start, what, what are you what going to talk the, about? <laughs> what is the most important thing for you to say? Like, what do you what do you really want to put into the world? It might be the that a podcast is exactly the right way to do that, but it might not be. And so I think there are lots of people that I think the term for it is pod fading, where they like start their own show. And then after a handful of episodes, they're like, my God, this is so much work. Or maybe maybe I'm done. Or booking guests is so hard. And so I think really thinking about what is your commitment to it and what do you have to say versus a lot of people get into podcasting and they just think, well, if I book a guest and that it's all about who the other person is. And I don't think it's that. I think it's what are you like? I can tell talking to you, you have very specific interests and things you want to put out there for your listeners. You have to be driven by that. Right. You can't be driven by well, I'll just book a bunch of people and we'll turn on the microphone. So yeah. be, be very thoughtful about we, the commitment. We definitely talk about that at Dear Media, about the fact that you can't just book amazing guests and think and call it a day. You know, no. you have to love what you're talking about, you know, and obviously that comes through pretty naturally when people do. Um, and really it's about your audience and making sure yes. that they're getting what they, they came for and, and things like that. And right, so having a feel for who you want your audience to be is important. Like on Safe for Work, we think about our audience as, you know, all the kinds of people that would be in career transition, which luckily is most of us most of the time. Right. But also in the, say, first half of their career, more than the second half. You know, though we have people across the entire age spectrum, mm-hmm. I feel like things really start to get real in your 30s. <laughs> you know, you're, you're yeah. balancing a lot of things against each other. So when I think about our listener... Often I'm thinking about that era in my life and all of the things I was juggling during that era, because that still applies to older people, but also to younger people. But like you start making career decisions at that time in your life that are going to matter for a long time. I was going to say they're they're heavier. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. Do whatever you want in your 20s, frankly. Yeah. I, whatever. <laughs> in fact, I wish I had had more fun in my 20s. Yeah. I wish I had like taken a couple of years after college and just done 
whatever yeah, I wanted. Same. My sister was a ski bum in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Why didn't I do that? Because we were all, or at least my generation, we were all told that if you didn't get a job right out of college, you were never going to work again. Or Guess what? Get a that job. is a lie. That is a yeah. total lie. I believed it too. Yeah. Nope. Not true. <laughs> okay. Next for rapid fire. What's a nonprofit or social cause you're passionate about right now? One of the things I really find myself driven to is supporting local arts organizations where newer voices are getting heard. So, and here we are living in Los Angeles. It's There's so many young theater companies or ways people who are writing poetry or dance companies. So supporting that kind of personal creative expression, even if it's just making sure I'm dragging a bunch of people to performances of slightly less known companies. That kind of stuff has become hugely important to me. Mm -hmm. I just love, too, that you are, like, what you're passionate about is really broad. And I think it's interesting because um, one of the questions we always ask in an interview at Career Contessa is, you know, what do you do for fun? What's your favorite Mm -hmm. book? You know, and we do that because it's like, what is your? What are you passionate about besides all these probably very well rehearsed, but uh-huh. somewhat rehearsed answers that you're going to give us about how you're perfect for this job, et cetera, is, you know, knowing like, what do you support? And I think that's, that's obviously a good thing to support, but mm-hmm. also just the fact that you have things that you're supporting, which I think goes back to, we were talking about how women are well-rounded and I think that's just yeah. important. And you, when it comes to that whole package, that marketing package, it's good to have those things. I agree. Yes. Okay. Next is a podcast that you're binge listening to. Well, the can't be your own. No, I don't. <laughs> yes. I'm familiar with that without having to listen. Yeah. <laughs> I am hooked on the history chicks. And the reason I love that podcast, first of all, the two female hosts are super smart and hilarious. And it's a very deeply researched history of an individual woman, but presented in the most fun way. And what I love about it is that some of the women that they're telling you about, you kind of know their story or you think you know their story. Like, you know, recently they did Anne Frank or, you know, people that kind of you came across in your education. But they also do plenty of women that you've never heard of that we should have heard of when we were growing up, but we just didn't. Like one that I was just listening to yesterday was about a Revolutionary War era poet who had originally come to the United States as a slave. And I can look up her name. It's not coming to me right now. But now there's a woman who led a fascinating life, and I knew nothing about her. Right. And the two chicks, the history chicks, they just do a great job. You can tell they just love digging into all the details of where they came from and what their family story is. So they did a whole episode on the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> just um, like there's a great. woman that we don't know very much yeah. about. So it's a super wide range of stories that get told, but always in this very personal anecdotal way. So I I know that whenever I'm super bored, I can always listen to one of those. That's I mean, you're learning something new, you're yes. being entertained, you know, that's all good They're stuff. They're the best. They're the best. Okay. One thing you're trying to learn or improve right now is. Mm, let me think. I think I'm really trying to learn. My next door neighbor is learning how to play the piano and we share a wall. So you're learning how to play the piano? <laughs> so I feel like I'm learning how to, <laughs> how to play the piano. And how do you plan to disrupt your career in 2019? Oh, wow. Okay. Let me think. <laughs> so, so I mentioned this new Oregon Sports Angels thing. And for me, that is the disruption because it all depends on who are the young entrepreneurs that come 
and ask us for help. As the year goes on, we have these quarterly meetings. At every quarterly meeting, you know, four or five companies will come in and present. So I'll be able to like be in the room and say, well, that per- not only is that a great idea, but I feel like that marketing person or that CEO, that's someone I could really help coach or mentor, or that's a business I would like to learn about. I don't know anything about that business, but I could get involved in helping them figure out how to do this. So it's literally my blueprint for how to disrupt my own life is to just have all these things come at me and make some choices. Well, I think you've proven that you're pretty good at disrupting your career and your life on a regular basis. (laughs) Um, Maybe too good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Liz, thank you so much for being here today. It's really been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was Liz Dolan, former CMO at World Class Brands and co-host for the Safe for Work podcast. Thank you for listening to this special bonus episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to The Females and leave us a review. We're so grateful to hear from you, our listeners, and here's what Jessica S. recently sent me in an email. The Females podcast episodes have been a perfect way for me to start and end my day. Thank you and keep up the great work. Thank you, Jessica, and I love that we're keeping you company on your commute. Ready for more smart career advice? Sign up for our free 28-day career kickstart via the link in the show notes or head over to careercontessa.com. You'll get one email a week that includes everything you need to up-level your career. It's free and it can totally change your life. I'll be back this Tuesday with Debbie Sterling, CEO of Goldie Blocks and a woman disrupting the pink aisle. But until then, you can follow us on at careercontessa on Instagram, Share this episode with your work wives and Instagram community with hashtag the females podcast and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. So the fact that that year Goldie Blocks won not one, but two awards, including people's choice. I mean, nobody could believe it. Right. Like everybody in the toy industry who had always just thought, well, construction is a boy play pattern and it's not a girl play pattern. We're just like beside themselves. Right. And and that was when the disruption really started to occur because I think it really sunk in and it was because of the Kickstarter and because of social media that I was able to help prove the demand that was there in the marketplace.